Remember Listerine breath strips? Pretty handy for when you can't brush your teeth or you just don't want a mint. But what if instead of a breath freshener, you could make those into a cannabis delivery system? That's what Josh Kirby and his team at Kinslips have done, and they've got a big following. When you want a quick and reliable dose of cannabinoids and terpenes, Kinslips can be a nice alternative to whipping out a joint or a vaporizer. Very discreet and very effective with an expanding choice of options for the state you want to achieve. I spoke with Josh about how he came up with the product, who his biggest fans are and why, and how this product might really help people who are devoted to their wellness. If you're curious about your wellness or about product development, I think you'll enjoy this episode. If you like the podcast, please subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or your favorite podcast player, and please leave a review so we can help other people find the show. Thanks to our producer, Danny, in Milwaukee. And here is my interview with Josh Kirby. Cannabis is booming, and Cannaboom is on it. Welcome to the Cannaboom Podcast, where we interview experts on the changing story of humans, health, and hemp. From San Diego, here's your host, Tom Stacy. Hey, it's Tom. Welcome back to the Cannaboom Podcast. Really excited today to have Josh Kirby, CEO of Kinslips on. Hey, Josh, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you? Very good, thanks. You're in California, right? Yeah, I'm in uh, Oakland, California, and our facility's uh, in Richmond, which is a little further north in the Bay. Oh, great. I'm, I'm down at the other end of the state, but uh, uh, thanks for joining us today. It's a big day everywhere. It's 420, so um, the high holiday. Thank you for making time today. Yeah, of course. I'm always happy to talk cannabis, especially on 420. Kin slips are very interesting. I, when I try to explain them to people, I always kind of fall back on the default of the little Listerine strips that people put in their mouth to refresh mm-hmm. their breath. You guys are kind of like that, right, in terms of the delivery mechanism? Yeah, so the, the form factor is kind of fundamentally the same. It's a dissolvable strip. Um, you know, that is designed to, when it hits the the moisture in your mouth, completely disintegrate. The major difference is that um, our product is loaded with an active ingredient as opposed to a Listerine strip, which just has a bunch of menthol in it to make your breath nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and the major difference in terms of how you use the product is really what's key. So with a Listerine strip, obviously, you know, you melt those on top of your tongue. A kin slip is a sublingual product. So it's designed to interact with the, the membrane underneath your tongue, that kind of squishy part. And so when you use a kin slip, the major difference is that you want to put it underneath your tongue and make sure that it completely dissolves before you kind of swallow the, the dissolved solution. So obviously, it's discreet, it's portable, you can do it in places you might not want to do a one-hitter or <laughs> right. that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really discreet, you know, and we designed everything from, you know, the way the product looks, to the way the product smells, to the packaging, everything, so that you can really feel comfortable kind of taking it to places where you would need to use cannabis. So if you're a medical patient and, you know, you need to use cannabis while you're at the office and you don't really want to let everybody know that that's what you're doing. Uh, something like a kin slip is, is really ideal for that. Well, I'll tell you, boy, in my case, my mom was in a nursing home and we would have loved to have that product because nursing homes don't welcome cannabis in any form. And I know it would have done her some good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, did you formulate this yourself? Is it one of those kitchen table products? And are, are you a chemist? How did, how did you come upon this? <laughs> so, uh, uh, originally, yes, I did formulate it myself. At this point, there's been a number of people who've kind of been involved, um, but you know, we're we're 
eight or nine years at this point from the original conception of the product. But the way we arrived at it, um, honestly, was a little bit of an accident. It wasn't something that we um, <laughs> intentionally sought out to do at first. So the first thing that we did, uh, this was around 2012, we were kind of just looking at what was going on and specifically the, the Washington State cannabis industry at the time. And we noticed that there was a real lack in like CPG products, you know, you would, um, you know, you'd find all this information online and, and all over the the national news that CBD was amazing for all these different things. You know, Sanjay Gupta was out there talking about it. And, um, and you would go into a dispensary and you would see like brownies saran wrapped with Sharpie written on them. And that was what they were selling to cancer patients and people who really needed this medicine. So we really thought there was an opportunity to create a product that was more trustworthy and hopefully bring some more people into um, utilizing these products. Um, people, especially people who can really benefit from them. So the first product we set out to make was a gum. We thought that would be, you know, a real obvious, you know, uh, unique cannabis product that would kind of be indistinguishable from something people are used to getting from like CVS or Walgreens. Did a whole bunch of R&D on how to make gum, which I had no business doing at the time. I'm not a chemist by training. Um, eventually figured out how to make it, figured out what in equipment was needed, what ingredients were needed. Um, I got cannabis infused into a gum and then I realized that, um, gum is just fat molecules or a lot of it is fat and cannabis sticks to fat. So it never actually comes out of the gum. You can sit there and chew it all day and <laughs> you're never actually going to get the cannabis back out into your system. So my solution to that was what if I try to put a candy coating on the gum and I put all the cannabis in the candy coating, maybe then when you bite it, it'll fall off, dissolve. <clears throat> you love your cannabis that way. Um, and in the process of doing that, I never actually figured out how to get those coatings to work, but I did figure out how to make really thin, fast dissolving candy. And that was kind of the spark for, uh, this product was, oh, this, this should just be, uh, rapidly disintegrating film. Um, and then we started to develop more purposefully, uh, towards that end. Initially we kind of launched it as, you know, as like a Listerine strip, like this is a breath strip with cannabis in it. It was really more of a novelty product than a true medicinal cannabis product. And then, you know, over the years, as we've developed it, we started to really understand things more clearly, like how sublingual absorption works, why that's so important, how we can, um, kind of reformulate the product to better work uh, as a sublingual. How do we add terpene profiles to this for specific effects? You know, all the different advancements we've made over the years. Uh, so it's really been a, an interesting product development journey for sure. But it didn't start out um, <laughs> pointed at uh, oral dissolving films. What a journey. That's a great story. And the sublingual aspect of it, a lot of people don't appreciate. It's almost instantaneous, right? It's fast. I wouldn't say it's instantaneous, um, but our average onset time is somewhere around 10 minutes. It's a little different person to person because everybody's, you know, physical and chemical makeup is a little bit different and that, you know, uh, has an impact. Um, but for the most part, it's about 10 minutes. Okay. You know, for people who want to protect their lungs, it's a nice option. Yeah, absolutely. We saw a really huge uptick in interest in our product um, when the COVID lockdown started to to kick in because everyone was really interested in protecting their lungs. So you saw a lot of people, you know, kind of leaving the inhalable products on the table for a little bit, especially vapes after, you know, vape crisis going into COVID. Um, you know, when, when a public health, uh, 
um, issue is happening that is lungs related, we do see a pretty huge um, increase in interest in our product. I've interviewed some CEOs from gummy manufacturers who tell a similar story that people maybe don't want to be drinking as much. Mm -hmm. um, and there's less stigma all the time around cannabis. The gummy people are talking about nanoparticles and you know, there's always going to be a longer onset when you have to really digest it as opposed to the molecules are going right into your bloodstream, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There, you know, there's always going to be, um, uh, there's there's a lot of interesting advancements that are happening in the edibles world, specifically in the gummy world. And you're seeing a lot of this like fast acting gummy technology being marketed and nano emulsions and, and all those things. And, and they're great. And there are some things that are legitimately kind of, you know, pushing the envelope, which is necessary. But at the end of the day, your body still has to digest those compounds, whether they're big or small, in order to, to kind of release them from the actual gummy, right? Like if you have a nanoparticle and you're surrounding it in a glob of gelatin or a glob of pectin, you know, your body still has to put in a lot of work to get that to release. And that is going to affect your, your onset time. So our philosophy is, you know, why kind of, why kind of put all that extra, you know, tech into something if you don't really need to do that. Um, and, and we've kind of gone the sublingual route instead of trying to to fix the gummy. And sublingual really does work. It's it's directly into your bloodstream without digestion, without the liver. Yeah, exactly. So it avoids, um, in the medical language, it's this concept of first pass metabolism. Um, basically, your liver is always processing everything and, and the, the uh, place of action for a lot of drugs and specifically cannabinoids and some terpenes is within your bloodstream. So you need the the active compounds kind of floating around in your bloodstream, bumping off of all the different receptors um, and sending signals throughout your body. The route to getting to your bloodstream with sublinguals is really direct, right? Right underneath your tongue, it pulls it directly into the bloodstream and then you're off to the races. With an edible product or with any sort of swallowed pill, this is true of, you know, cannabis products, this is true of Tylenol, this is true of, you know, any sort of pharmaceutical drug that you swallow as a pill. Um, it has to go through your digestive system first and then it gets removed from your digestive system goes through your liver and then is released into your bloodstream so because your liver is always there processing uh, drugs and and turning them into metabolites basically metabolizing things into other forms um you are kind of having this first wash of potency reduction through your liver when you are using an edible that's totally unavoidable. Um, and when you go sublingually, you completely miss that. So eventually you do get to the liver and it does start to process things. And that's why you feel less and less high over time. Um, but uh, skipping that first pass is really important because what can happen on that first pass is you can convert a lot of the Delta 9 THC, which is kind of the traditional um, version of the THC molecule that you would get when you maybe smoke a vape or, or hit a joint or something like that, um, that gets converted in your liver and in your digestive system to this other molecule called 11-hydroxy-THC, um, which can be a lot more psychoactive, especially for some people. And the conversion from delta 9 to delta 11 through that process is really really hard to predict so you can end up with a big conversion and a lot of this stuff or almost no conversion and a very small amount of this stuff um, and that can dramatically swing the type of experience that you're going to have and that 
can cause sort of that edible freak out that a lot of people experience. So skipping that entirely is something that we really focus on and just going directly into the bloodstream the first time. So that's really interesting. There's a couple of aspects to that, that when you mention the increase in psychoactivity, when it does convert to 11-hydroxy THC, and the, the aspect of a potency reduction. So is a two point, say a 2.5 milligram dose of a kin slip equal to a 2.5 milligram dose of a gummy? Um, no, so they're not equal, but it's really difficult to say in exactly what way they're not equal because the, the process of first pass metabolism, especially with cannabis is like I said, extremely hard to predict. So, you know, that conversion from Delta nine to Delta 11 is, is dependent on what you ate that day, you know, what your, uh, um, what your microbiome is doing, how much exercise you've been getting lately, um, a whole host of other factors. So it's just really difficult to say. Um, but one of the things that we really, uh, you know, hear from our customers and, and a lot of people in the industry is that what consumers are really looking for at the end of the day is something that's consistent. You know, you see um, this with the kind of proliferation of these beverages right now and with other sublingual products um, is that people are really looking for a consistent experience. And that's something that's really difficult to deliver with something like a gummy. Over and over on this show, we talk about, as you say, it varies from individual to individual. There's there's no one thing you can say about cannabis that is really true because totally. we do, we've got different genetics and like you said, different. maybe you ate something that day. So it's often a test and learn kind of scenario. Do you hear anything from your customers qualitatively about how the kin slip is different from a gummy? Yeah, we hear. So the biggest thing that we hear is that the the experience that they feel from uh, sublingual products and Kinslip specifically is um, is more like a smoking or vaping experience. You know, it's more of kind of like a um, a heady. If you're if you're looking for a, a THC type of experience, it's more of kind of like a, a heady, controllable, um, kind of uplifted experience as opposed to something that's uh, taken orally, like a. a an edible um, that tends to be more kind of in your body and heavy and logy. Um, so that's the big difference we see. And then the other, the other difference um, that, that people report to us is that there is a bigger swing in the um, different types of effects that, that people are getting from a kin slip. Um, so the, not, not only are the cannabinoids more bioavailable in something like a kin slip, you know, you're, you're actually getting more of what you take, being active in, in your bloodstream, but the terpenes are more bioavailable as well. So, you know, when you take terpenes orally, those are also metabolized and digested by your digestive system before they get to your bloodstream, um, which is where some of them uh, are therapeutically beneficial. So there is a bigger opportunity in something like a sublingual for us to be able to deliver kind of a bigger variety and a more complicated set of, of terpene-based experiences because we can actually make more of them uh, active within the body. Okay. What you're hearing is less of a less of a body high, more of a head high, less psychoactivity, I guess, because it's not converting. Yeah, yeah, sort of less psychoactivity, but less. Um, I would say specifically, it's less unwanted psychoactivity. You know, very few people want that kind of like, oh crap, my edible just kicked my butt <laughs> right. feeling. You know. Right. <laughs> um, People might remember Maureen Dowd, the New York Times columnist, <laughs> yeah. went to Colorado, right? And I think she ate half a chocolate bar and ended up in the closet thinking she was dead or something. Yep. Yeah. She didn't read the instructions and then got mad at weed for making her too high. So that yeah. was that was fun. 
Well, and that's the classic thing with um, edibles is, and I think most people have gotten the message by now, but but some maybe haven't. But you eat something and you wait a half an hour and go, nothing happened. And then you double mm-hmm. down and then you end up way more high than you wanted to be. Yeah. And a lot of times you can get bad information about, you know, what type of dose you should be taking. Um we have this anecdote that we use sometimes when we were first starting this company, you know, we're obviously a pretty low dose product, um, you know, even in the marketplace now, but especially compared to where the market was on the medicinal side, like four or five years ago. And we would go into dispensaries and we would, we would say, okay, let's, let's try to figure out what bud tenders are saying to customers who've never used cannabis before. So we can kind of understand how they might recommend something like a kinslip. Um, and we would go in and we'd say, Hey, I'd never used cannabis before. I'm really curious. Like, you know, I don't really want to smoke. What types of products are out there and, and what would you recommend? And they would hand you like a Kiva black bar, you know, which is a thousand milligrams of THC. And they'd be like, you know, take a small dose of this, take like a quarter of it or something, which is 250 milligrams of THC. Oh my. So you can get <laughs> through, through no fault of your own, really. You know, if you're just trusting kind of the information that's provided to you, from people um, selling some of these products sometimes, then you can get some really bad information. I mean, that's the whole thing about cannabis is we we had all this bad information from prohibition. And now there's sort of a, the pendulum has swung to the other side where there's people making crazy claims. Yeah. So it's really hard to get good information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's nobody really policing these claims too. You know, there's, there's um, enough anecdotal evidence, I would say, for some of these things to start to proliferate. Um, but there's nobody out there who is really focusing on kind of um, uh, studying these claims and evaluating these claims and trying to see if they're legitimate or not, which I think is pretty interesting. Um, and ultimately, it's going to be up to consumers to figure out, you know, whether they think this thing that is being said about a particular product actually turns out to be true. And it's a minefield from a marketing aspect, too. You want to be careful about making claims. And mm-hmm. let me ask you, who are the customers who really love Kinslips? So we see kind of three buckets of people who really tend to connect to Kinslips. The first one is um, kind of what you touched on earlier is the older demographic, people who are kind of aging out of, you know, a lot of the responsibilities in their life and a lot of the work that they have to do on a day-to-day basis, but they're aging into a bunch of different ailments, um, you know, specifically chronic body pain and fatigue and things like that. A lot of things that cannabis can really help with, uh, without a lot of side effects. And now that, that, you know, this crowd is starting to retire and have a little bit more freedom and the, um, the stigma around cannabis is going down and the availability is going up. They're really starting to try some of these other form factors. And what they really like about Kinslips is that you can have this very precisely dosed, reliable experience without having to smoke anything, you know, and that's a big driver for, for that demographic is sort of the health conscious, lung conscious um, product types. One of the other um, demographics we see is kind of like the young mom crowd, um, people who have a uh, large set of responsibilities between what they're doing professionally and what they're doing at home to take care of their kids and raise their kids. Um, So they're you know, generally looking for ways to reduce stress, maybe unwind sometimes, um, 
but they really need to have reliable experiences. You know, you can't risk taking something that might make you feel, you know, three or four times higher than you were expecting to feel for three or four times longer, um, just in case an emergency happens. You know, you need to keep your wits about you. You need to understand where um, this particular product is going to take you. And they really like that about Kinslips, the, the consistent kind of reliable onset time um, and uh, kind of intensity and duration of the experience. And then the third group um, that we're really starting to see adopt the product are people who kind of work professionally in creative settings. Um, So maybe someone who's a graphic designer at a large tech company, you know, you in, in, in a job like that, you need to be creative, you need to be responsive, you need to be able to kind of think of things quickly on the fly. And a lot of people in those positions will use cannabis to kind of get in the right mindset to do these creative activities. Um, But you can't really like, you know, smoke a joint at work or like pull the bong out of your desk to get in the zone. So having something like a kin slip that can like bring you exactly where you need to be so that you can still function within the, you know, the infrastructure of your, your, um, uh, your job. Um, but still getting you to kind of that creative headspace that you're looking for. Um, those people really connect with kin slips as well. They're almost, would you say, microdosing kind of scenarios or a little more than a microdose? I think it depends on the person. Um, you know, microdose has such a huge range to such a huge number of people. Um, but I would say that generally that's that's the type of consumption that tends to click well with Kinslips. Some people, for sure, you know, they like to kind of use it as like a end of the day kind of wine replacement or, you know, instead of going out and drinking, maybe they'll have a Kinslip or two. Um, and that is more of like macro consumption. Um, but for people who are kind of utilizing it to integrate it with their day-to-day lives, either on a psychoactive basis or a non-psychoactive basis, it does tend to be kind of more like titrated slow doses where maybe they'll even take a kin slip and, and rip it in half or use a quarter of it to kind of build their, um, uh, to build their dosage throughout the day. Do you guys have a standard dose? Is it is it two and a half or is it five milligrams? Or? Our standard dose is 10. So most of the strips we sell are 10 milligram uh, THC strips. Um, and then we have a microdose option too, which is five milligrams. Um, we don't really go lower than that only because um, it's not really economical for us to make a product that has a, uh, a lower dose than five. It tends to use up a lot of different packaging. Um, and it, from a labor perspective, getting all those strips packaged is, is pretty intense. Um, so because the product is homogenous and because it's just kind of this little film, you can, um, you know, easily rip it in half, rip it in a quarter. So if you have a specific dose that you like, you can pretty easily achieve that just by trimming the product up. Is it scored or do you need a pair of scissors or how, how do you-, you can actually just kind of fold it and then it, um, it kind of comes right apart. Nice. Yeah. You know, I'm looking at your your website and you have, they're all functionally named sleep and serenity, creativity and focus, balance and tranquility, comfort and relief. So they're all sort of aimed at a certain function. Is that to say sort of indica sativa or how do you formulate these? Yes. So in terms of, um, you know, kind of how we position our blends, we don't really talk about them as like indica and sativa because, at least to me as a, as a cannabis consumer, indica and sativa um, signifies kind of a source of an original plant. 
Um, and that's not really how we build our profiles. What we do is we take individual cannabinoids and terpenes in their most isolated forms that we can, and we recombine those to kind of build our own strains, essentially. So our Cloudbuster strain or our Cloudbuster blend, for example, is based on kind of like a, a hybrid of a bunch of really great sativa strains. Um, you know, we pulled the chemical profile of all those strains, and then we kind of rebuilt the most important fractions of those profiles into our Cloudbuster strip so that we could directly make it a, uh, a blend for kind of creativity and focus. And that's really how we do our, um, our product formulation. We really look for ways that we can kind of combine isolated isolated components so that we can create really consistent experience profiles. Um, one of the things we try to avoid is we, you know, when, when you talk about kind of taking cannabis and putting it directly into a product as a strain, right? So say I'm, I'm working with something like granddaddy purple and I want to make a granddaddy purple strip as a single strain product. That's cool. But if you're going to be producing batches and batches of something like that, um, you're eventually, if your whole, if your only formulation is to take something called a strain called that extract it and put it into a product over time, you know, from batch to batch, you're going to have different, um, different profiles within there. Even from the same batch, you might end up with a different chemical profile that's inside your end product because different terpenes express themselves in different quantities, you know, on different parts of the plant and different parts of the harvest at different times of the year, depending on when you're, um, when you're, um, uh, harvesting and even, you know, especially between different growers. Um, so what we really try to focus on is going back to those really consistent, reliable experiences is making sure that what we kind of present as a formulation is molecularly identical from batch to batch to batch. That makes sense. And it, would require you to really understand what's in a strain. You know, I've heard the same thing from other companies that, yeah, even on the same bud, at the tip of the bud, there might be more THC than, than down at the base. So, yeah, the challenge over time is is to produce a consistent product. So that's a, a great way to do it if you know what your cannabinoids are and the terpenes are and combining that into a um, almost a proprietary blend. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and that's really how we, uh, you know, we look at one of the things that we're building here is we're trying to build kind of a portfolio of different proprietary effect profiles. Um, you know, some of them are, are complicated. Some of them are pretty simple and easy to figure out. Um, but what's, what's really fun about it for me is that I get to kind of dive into a lot of this scientific research about, you know, how has linalool been studied in, um, in human subjects for aromatherapy and for, you know, all different kinds of things. And how can I apply something like that to what we're doing at Kinslips and provide a novel uh, and useful experience for, for cannabis consumers. And that uh, research is kind of exploding, isn't it? Yeah. Well, what's really, um, what I find really fascinating is a, a lot of research to do with, with terpenes and, and, um, and those types of compounds have, has been around for a long time. We've been studying, um, you know, what's tr more traditionally called aromatherapy for decades. And that is essentially, 
research on terpene profiles and the effects that they can have in the human body. When you talk about, you know, aromatherapy with rose oil, what you're talking about is um, geraniol and, you know, some other really popular terpenes that are used in a lot of strains and a lot of different, you know, formulations and blends. Um, And so kind of taking that research and trying to apply it to cannabis formulations is really fun and and really and and really interesting and there's a lot of it out there from over the years but what is really just starting to happen and we don't have a lot of good information on it now unfortunately is that research specifically tying it to cannabinoids and how it works within the context of kind of the greater cannabis ecosystem that is kind of the next frontier. And hopefully as we start to see some federal easing on, um, you know, maybe the scheduling of cannabis or funding for research of cannabis, we're going to start to see more and more cool, useful data about, you know, how all these things interact together within a cannabis context, not just within an aromatherapy context, devoid of cannabinoids. That is kind of a fascinating linkage because, you know, it wasn't too long ago people when they heard the word aromatherapy, they basically thought about bath products and, you know, isn't right. that nice that you can have lavender and, and maybe it relaxes you. Mm-hmm. But the, you're talking about real medical efficacy that's documented and that can make a difference. For people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, there's, uh, I think one of the things that fortunately is happening right now with with kind of our collective understanding of what health is, is, you know, a few years ago, you would hear something like, oh, yeah, I put lavender oil in my bath, and it helps me relax. And that feels like, you know, luxury and kind of opulence and a little unnecessary. But what we're starting to understand now is that a lot of, you know, what we consider health problems are really at their root caused by some systemic issues that we have within our society, like this chronic overstress. And so something that can help you de-stress like, you know, a lavender oil or a linalool specifically, um, goes from being kind of this like, you know, foofy little like, Oh, look at you, your aromatherapy with lavender oil. Aren't you, aren't you so chill <laughs> to a legitimate, you know, wellness routine that, that really kind of ties in with, you know, our, our understanding of how we interact with our medical system. Right. The word wellness, even that, you know, used to have some connotations of frou-frou stuff. But yeah. <laughs> if you're actually keeping disease at bay through sort of these routines, that counts as efficacy. Yeah, absolutely. And we tend to think, especially in, in the Western world, about, um, you know, medicine purely on the kind of treatment side of it. So, you know, something bad has happened or you've developed something and now you need to treat it. And that's kind of where we have traditionally put all of our medicine. And what you start to break into when you look at it from a wellness perspective and and the way we look at it within cannabis um, and cannabis medicines is you can't just look at what you're doing from a treatment perspective. You also have to look at the prevention side. So we know that there's all these indicators that lead to the development of certain diseases and certain conditions. Um, we should be proactively all working to prevent those things in ourselves and in, in the people around us as well. And I think that's where we start to kind of open up to these, you know, more wellness-based therapies as a, as a mode of prevention, not just as a mode of treatment. Right. And I've put that idea out there myself and it, it's, it is subject to ridicule, but what if cannabis was seen as a vitamin and you had your minimum daily right. requirement? <laughs> I think that 
it's um, I think we're a long ways off from that, but I, I do think that that's something that's likely to happen. And I think that starts to become more and more realistic as we start to better understand how some of these minor cannabinoids function. You know, you have compounds, you know, when you when I think I think the reason people push back on something like that is you say, yeah, cannabis is this daily vitamin. We're all going to use it. And people who don't really understand what you're talking about think this guy wants to get high all day. Right. <laughs> um, but what you know, what you can start to unlock when you get to things like THCA and CBG and even CBD to some extent is you have these non-psychoactive compounds or these incredibly mildly psychoactive compounds that, um, that can help, you know, improve your mood. They can help kind of just generally de-stress you throughout the day without making you logy, without harming any sort of intellectual function. Um, and I think once people, once the idea of those and the understanding of those proliferates a little bit more, we'll start to see more acceptance of kind of cannabis as a vitamin because it, it really can act that way. You know, I, I'm fortunate enough to have access to, to our entire R&D arsenal. Um, and so I'm always making like weird little strips just to see what would it be like to have 20 milligrams of THCA in the morning or what would it be like to, you know, have this or that or this combination of things. And there's so many useful formulations that really aren't that complicated that really do make a major impact in how you feel from, you know, the moment you get up to how you feel after you eat a big meal to how you can feel if you accidentally overdose on caffeine, which, um, you know, I would argue is kind of a, a more harmful uh, compound than a lot of cannabinoids are. Um, so I think there is a big opportunity to develop things that are useful in the way that we consider vitamins useful. Yeah. Long-term, we know that there are some anti-inflammatory properties mm -hmm. that inflammation is coming for all of us. So <laughs> that's yeah. a good thing. If you can take something every day that helps quell that, that's a neuroprotectant. There's a lot of reasons to look at this plant and try to work it into your life every day. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. Well, I also wanted to ask you about, you guys do some charity work. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So, um, uh, thank you for bringing this up. I always really like to shout out some of these organizations. Um, so we work with um, three groups at the moment. Um, we donate financially to two groups. One is called the Last Prisoner Project. Their major goal is to um, see a world with zero cannabis prisoners. Um, and the kind of genesis for their work was, hey, we have this brand new industry that has come out of something that has been illegal for a long time. We have had this incredibly unjust war on drugs that has locked up a huge, um, huge percentage of the uh, black and brown population of this country completely unfairly. Um, what can we do as the people in this industry who are attempting to profit off of this thing that has caused so much damage to a lot of people? Um, how do we work to to help to undo some of that damage and free some of these people? And they do a lot of really, really amazing work to free um, uh, people who've been locked up for cannabis for a long time. So big shout out to Last Prisoner Project. Um, the other organization that we donate to is called the Florette Coalition. This was put together by uh, the group who runs uh, Broccoli Magazine. 
And what they do is a little bit different. They focus on one charity every single month, but they deploy basically their whole kind of organization of, of supporters to that one charity every month. So it's usually um, a fairly small locally focused charity. You know, it's not usually like a big national or global thing. Um, and uh, every month they send out a link and they say, this is the charity we're donating to. This is the cause. Um, and, you know, you give them your money. And, and I think right now the total, um, donation on a monthly basis from the group is somewhere around like $11,000, which is massively impactful for some of these, uh, these smaller organizations. So a Florette coalition is another one to definitely check out. And then we also work with um, a group in California that's a compassionate giving group called Sweet Leaf Collective. And what they do is they, first of all, they um, were uh, big proponents of the compassionate giving law in California. So when, when the adult use cannabis law came into effect, there was no room in it to, to give cannabis to um to sick people, right? And that was a that was what started the whole cannabis industry 24, 25 years ago in California was, hey, we have all these really sick people who really, really need cannabis um, because they're either terminally ill and in a huge amount of pain or cannabis literally saves their lives. Um, you know, that was the genesis of the, of the um, medical cannabis industry in California and largely in the world. And so when this adult use law came and kind of shut all that down, there was um, a huge lack of safe access to uh, regulated cannabis products. And so what Sweetleaf Collective did was they um, put together a, a group of, of industry stakeholders to lobby the government to allow for compassionate giving, which they ultimately were successful in. And now they have programs where they work with licensed dispensaries to give uh, free cannabis products to people who are um, who who really need them, people who are sick, people who can't afford um, that type of cannabis therapy and that type of cannabis medicine. So they do really amazing work, um, and you know we we do our part in donating some products to them. Um, but we're really really grateful that they're they're out there putting in the actual hard work of kind of making these laws happen and running the logistics of getting all these products to people. So huge shout out to them. Thanks for sharing all that. I, I was familiar with the last prisoner project, but not with Florette or Sweetleaf. And like you said, it, it all begins with medicine, with the medicinal aspects of it. I mean, that's where the industry began. Mm -hmm. People forget that it is a legitimate medicine that's making a difference for people. Yeah, absolutely. And we're all here. You know, everybody who's here working in this industry every day, um, you know, whatever your motivations are, you're here because of those people. Um, and they really, really need, they need help right now because this industry is not set up to support that those types of groups and none of us would be doing this if those groups hadn't hadn't put in the work initially and taken the risk initially to do what they did i think at the top of the show i identified you as ceo and i'm looking at my notes and it says chief product officer just for accuracy what is your title i am the chief product officer yeah but i did used to be the ceo so it is uh, something that gets confused quite a bit what a dream job to be chief product officer at a company that's doing what you guys are doing. Yeah, it's really great. You know, my job um, spans from kind of overseeing all manufacturing and making sure that, you know, what we're putting out is what we're planning to put out. Um, and then also focusing on developing new products and, you know, getting to just kind of dive into research and understand what's going on, um, you know, at, at the cutting edge of cannabis. So it's a really, really rewarding work. And um, a quick shout out to the team who actually 
does all of the manufacturing at our facility without what they do, you know, I really wouldn't be able to focus on, um, developing new products and getting to do the, the fun part of the job that I really enjoy. So big shout out to them. When you say new products, is it going to be something different than the sublingual strip or are you continually refining that? Yeah. So our, um, focus as a company is solely on sublingual strips. Um, we consider ourselves, you know, we are a cannabis brand as Kinslips, but really what we are is a, um, a drug delivery system. Um, and one of the ways you can kind of think about what we do is um, you can imagine a Kinslip like a vape pen cartridge. You know, it's a platform that is designed to specifically deliver compounds um, through the uh, sublingual pathway underneath your tongue. But we can put whatever we want in it up to a, you know, whatever the limits of the, the legal regulations are and then whatever the physical limitations of the dosage loading capacity of the product are. So um, what most of my work is uh, these days is developing, you know, different combinations of, of active ingredients that can be best utilized through a sublingual strip. Um, and so we're working on a number of different things. One thing that we're working on developing is a line of kind of single strip, uh, single strain based products. So single origin strains um, that go into kind of these limited edition batches um, so that you can have kind of a strain type experience with a kin slip without ever having to smoke anything, without ever having to um, uh, inhale and and while getting kind of the full breadth of the experience that you're not able to get in like a, a strain specific edible, for example. Um, and then we're also working on developing a number of other kind of novel formulations and blends around the main experience product line. So we're working on all kinds of things from um, uh, pain relief to uh, more deeper focus um, and then exploring all of the new kind of minor cannabinoids that are coming out to the market right now and trying to figure out how can we utilize these new and interesting and novel things in a, in a very useful way for people. Do you ever see yourself bringing in other ingredients like, say, a turmeric or like an adaptogen mushroom or something? Yeah, we, um, we're we limited a little bit in what we can do in California. Uh, and that's the only place that we have you know, our own manufacturing facility right now. But one of the things that I really like um, in terms of kind of my R&D work is exploring the relationship between um, kind of more traditional uh, nutraceutical products or even nootropic products and, um, and cannabinoids and terpenes and trying to figure out, you know, how can you combine some of the more, um, effective of that world with cannabis to create something that is completely unique and completely experiential and, um, and, and ultimately very useful for people. You said you're not a chemist, but obviously you've got a brain for this. What, what is your training and background? So my background is mostly in music and audio engineering. Um, so I do have a little bit of a technical background in just kind of like, you know, uh, in audio engineering and setting up those types of systems. Um, but my, um, I guess kind of maybe my number one overarching skill is that I am, I'm just really able to kind of learn things fairly quickly, uh, by doing a lot of research. Um, and that's really been, what has driven the R&D side of Kinslip so far is just just kind of diving in and doing the dirty work. So, you know, you dive into a study that, you know, talks about 
how cannabinoids and terpenes interact together. And then you make sure you Google all the words you don't understand so that you understand what everybody's talking about. And then you just keep building on the knowledge from there. Um, you know, when I started working on this, it was almost 10 years ago. So I've had, you know, quite an education in not just cannabis, but in organic chemistry and in uh, material sciences to develop the actual film formulations. Um, but yeah, it just takes a lot of reading, you know, and well, and yeah, and the, and the curiosity and boy, the, the blue ocean of we've humans have been using this plant for thousands of years, but because of the freakish circumstances of prohibition, there was no mm -hmm. science on it. And now there's just an explosion. So it's gotta be like a kid in a candy store. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. It's great. So I always ask people what's their favorite cannabis product. And I suspect it might be a, a kin slip, but I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. I, I really love kin slips, you know, not to kind of toot our own horn or anything, but it is the product that I use most of the time. A lot of the reasons that I use it most of the time is because I'm always testing, you know, new stuff that I'm working on, but it is genuinely like one of my favorite, um, uh, cannabis products. And the one that I specifically like the most is our blend Cloudbuster. Uh, I do a lot of kind of creative work outside of uh, what what we do at Kinslips. And when I'm working on things like that, you know, having some sort of like uh, reliable creativity boosters, is just something that I absolutely love. Um, yeah. Uh, but I also really like some other uh, products in the cannabis space. One that I find super fun is um, the cannabis infused sriracha from Potley. It is, first of all, it's a really, really tasty sriracha. So it's it's pretty dangerous because you just want to keep putting it on everything. Uh, but it has this really great effect to it too. Um, yeah, that's, that's probably one of my favorite products. That is quite an endorsement. I'll have to look for that. Yeah. Josh, is there anything we haven't covered that we should? That is a great question. I don't think I can think of anything. This has been really, really thorough. Yeah, we rambled all over, but I think we covered yeah. some great stuff. <laughs> I think so too. <laughs> we can find you at kinslips.com, I take it. And are yep. you guys on Twitter or anywhere else? Yeah, we're uh, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We're um, just at kinslips everywhere. Everywhere. Yep. It's a great name and uh, I'll definitely be checking you out all over online and, and urge our listeners to as well. Awesome. Tom, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate that. You've been listening to the Cannaboom Podcast with host Tom Stacy. If you like the show and want to know more, please check us out at Cannaboom with a K dot com. And please leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. See you next week.